Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. We're going to talk about a number of statewide issues today, starting with our roads. A new report says they're getting better, but still rate a grade of D overall, just in time for pothole season. Then we're going to talk about the ongoing investigation into former House Speaker Rick Johnson and his bribery charges in a medical marijuana licensing scheme. And then we'll discuss possible changes to the state's child marriage laws. Busy show ahead right after the news from NPR. Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and I'm really glad you've decided to join us. How's your commute these days in Michigan? It's springtime, so you probably notice all the roads closed or narrowed by construction projects that had to wait for warm weather. Maybe there are potholes that you now consider familiar landmarks things you try to avoid every day on your way to work or back home. This is life here in Michigan, and it's the way it's been for an awfully long time. We don't pay enough for our roads through our system of taxes and fees, so we're always, always playing catch-up, rattling our teeth as we bump down the highways and side roads in our state. The good news is, there is more money for roads these days. $3.5 billion that Governor Gretchen Whitmer decided to borrow unilaterally, and there is federal infrastructure funding that's boosting the money that we have to fix roads. So we should be noticing improvement. And I have to say... It's not as bad now as it was five or ten years ago. But a recent report on our roads still found us with an overall grade of D, just above failing. That same report found us at a D-plus for bridges. And if you combine the two, they gave us a C-minus overall. Not great grades by any measure. So where do we stand with the idea that, hey, we could have better roads in Michigan. We could maintain those roads better and avoid all of the really costly repairs that bad roads inflict on us and our budgets. That's where we begin the conversation today, talking about roads, something we haven't talked about in quite some time here on Detroit Today. But this recent report and some other news brings us back to the question of how do we make sure that we have the infrastructure we need to get around and take better care of it? 
to help us think through all of that, we've got Jonathan Osting here. He is an award-winning Michigan political reporter who covers the Capitol for Bridge, Michigan, recently wrote a piece about lawmakers' new spending plans and a piece about roads. Jonathan, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hey, Stephen. Thanks for having me. So uh, let's start with just uh, the overall picture of roads here in Michigan. Uh, This industry report card from the American Society of Civil Engineers doesn't give us a whole lot of hope. It says we're still at a D for roads. Uh, Talk about why that is and I guess what the trajectory is for fixing uh, the transit in- infrastructure here in Michigan. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the uh, you know the report card actually did improve the grades slightly for Michigan roads. Went from a D minus to a D. So uh, they did note some improvement, and as you mentioned, they attributed that primarily to uh, bonding programs by the governor, as well as uh, you know a huge federal stimulus or sorry federal infrastructure law that's going to send several billion dollars to Michigan for roads and other infrastructure projects as well. But the long term outlook is about the same as it was when uh, Governor Whitmer took office, you know, promising to fix the damn roads. Um, And that is because there's still no long-term solution uh, to pay for road repair. So the governor's bonding program, that's one-time money. The federal infrastructure money, that's one-time money. And while that, you know, has made a dent and is going to make a dent uh, in the road funding, or sorry, the road quality, uh, you know, issues here in Michigan, uh, the projections from, from a separate group, the Michigan Asset Uh, sorry, the Michigan Transportation Asset Management Council, uh, their outlook is not great. You know, they say, um, well, roads have improved slightly. Uh, The trajectory is that those improvements are going to start to tail off by 2026 and uh, start going downhill again. So, um, you know, without a long-term plan to fix the damn roads, we're we're basically where we've been for a long time. One of the interesting things about this to me is that Governor Whitmer did make this the centerpiece of her first campaign for governor in 2018. The the phrase, fix the damn roads, became uh, just as associated with her as it's the economy, stupid, had become associated with uh, Bill Clinton back in 1992. Um, And and other politicians, of course, who who come up with really catchy things to appeal to voters. I, I don't feel like voters in 2022, when she was running for re-election, were trotting that phrase out to say, hey, are we really fixing the damn roads as much as we should? Why aren't we doing better? Why am I still paying what I am to repair my car uh, when I bump down the roads? Are these one-time injections of funds, the $3.5 billion that she, uh, that she borrowed and the money from uh, from federal infrastructure spending, I guess, are they enough for people not to notice at this point that things aren't getting appreciably better? And then, of course, we all have a problem thinking out, right, several years that uh, the things that we're seeing now might not uh, sustain. Yeah, I mean, it's possible. The, um, the, the, the bonding program for the governor, because of the way 
um, state laws work could only go towards highways. So uh, when you see, you know, really big projects on 96 or here in Lansing where I live on 696, um, you see these, you know, massive infrastructure projects. And that's the sort of thing that the governor's bonding program has helped pay for. Uh, it did not help fix local roads. So your neighborhood roads, um, you know, any any smaller road that doesn't get um, federal funding or, uh, you know, is maybe, um, you know, the, 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 it's it's the responsibility of your local road commission, for instance. Mm -hmm. Those roads have not seen a big funding bump. Now, some of the federal uh, infrastructure money will go towards local roads, but a large chunk of that also is dedicated just for highways. Now, those are the most expensive projects, of course, so, uh, you know, it's important to, to do that, but, uh, you know, folks might not be seeing a huge difference in your actual neighborhood. So, uh, the, you know, I think in terms of the the mood of voters in 2022, right? You're right. Roads was not a major issue in the campaign the way it was in 2018. Part of that is I think the governor just didn't make it a centerpiece mm -hmm. because she knew she hadn't necessarily followed through on that pledge. Um, part of it, I think, is that, you know, it's fair to say that it wasn't all the governor's fault that she didn't get a long-term road funding plan through. She did propose a very aggressive road funding plan um, in her first year in office, uh, would have raised fuel taxes by 45 cents per gallon, give, giving Michigan the highest uh, gas tax rate in the country. Uh, the Republican-led legislature rejected that, and even some old members of her party weren't too keen to uh, associate themselves with a plan that would raise taxes that dramatically yeah. on Michigan motorists. So it essentially proved to be a non-starter in the legislature, and then her backup plan was this bonding plan. We also, of course, have a ton of federal stimulus money mm -hmm. uh, in addition to the infrastructure money in Michigan right now, something like a $9 billion projected surplus through the next year. Um, the governor is spending a lot of that in her budget proposal, but not necessarily on roads. Her budget proposal for the year would put about $211 million in new general fund money. That's like discretionary money um, into roads. Not a huge bump. And... Uh, part of that now has to go towards paying off the debt that we accumulated for bonding That's right. um, through the governor's program. So, uh, you know, for whatever reason, it is not a huge priority in the budget talks right now. That said, the legislature is crafting their own budgets as we speak. Uh, there are floor votes planned for, for this week. Um, and the Senate budget, for instance, includes a, an extra $150 million for local roads that the governor's plan did not. So uh, these things are being discussed in Lansing, and I assume uh, you know, we'll end up seeing another one-time injection of money into the roads this budget cycle. Um, but still, you know, no huge um, appetite, it doesn't seem, for uh, conversations about raising new revenue for a long-term plan. Yeah. I'm talking with Jonathan Osting. He's an award-winning Michigan political reporter who covers the state capitol for Bridge, Michigan. We're talking about roads here in Michigan. It is springtime, which means it's pothole season. All of the things that uh, were damaged uh, by the salt and the other kinds of weather uh, problems that we have in Michigan become evident 
uh, once this once the snow and uh, all the winter goes away. Uh, we're talking about a recent grading that Michigan got for roads that gave us a D for roads, despite all of the money that we are actually spending, at least uh, right now, uh, to try to fix roads, which uh, had been in terrible, terrible shape here in Michigan for many, many years. Uh, I want to hear from you on the conversation as well. Give us a sense of what your commute looks like right now. Uh, you're bumping around in places uh, that you hadn't before. Uh, what would you do to more permanently fund roads here in Michigan? That is the really big question, I think, is uh, what are we willing to change in terms of the way we pay for roads all the time? Not just grabbing bunches of money here or there, uh, but paying through taxes or fees to make sure that roads always have the money that they need. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313 313- Five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you in the conversation that way. Uh, on Twitter, Cycle Six Miles says, "Stop widening highways and roads that we already can't afford. Remove car lane miles. Remove urban freeways. Increase regional transit and urban public transit. Encourage." Density that uh, certainly, as a long-term approach, that makes tons of sense. That uh, that maybe we have too many roads, uh, and that uh, the, the best way to maintain all of it better is to cut back on the total need to maintain uh, those roads. Uh, let's go to back to the phones here and go to Bernadette in Old Redford. Bernadette, welcome to the show. Good morning. Mm-hmm. My issue is that. Um, these companies that get the bids to do the road repairs, they don't seem to have any guarantee for how long it's going to last. Mm -hmm. Say, for example, how the Lodge Freeway was closed so that it could be resurfaced, and within five years or maybe less, it's back to crumbling. Maybe they should go to Egypt and find out how the pyramids (laughs) were built because they're still standing. (laughs) Bernadette, (laughs) I love that. I love that uh, that last suggestion there, uh, that there are things in the world that are built to last and our roads don't seem to be among them. Uh, Jonathan, I, 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 the the overall grade for Michigan infrastructure uh, in this report was a C minus. Um, uh, and, and that is because, uh, in in some ways, you know, we don't build things to last here in Michigan. I wonder how much that is part of the conversation in Lansing about roads. That uh, uh, you know, there are things we could require, I suppose, of contractors. There are things we could do differently that might get us a little more mileage, uh, no pun intended, uh, out of the road repairs that we do. Yeah, um, it certainly has been part of the conversation in in past years. Uh, I'm not sure about right now if there's an appetite to change that. But, you know, when when Governor Snyder was also making this similar push to fix roads, uh, there was a big talk in the uh, in the legislature at that point about changing warranty rules. Now, MDOT, the state's transportation department, does already require warranties on pretty much every project they do. but you know, it depends on uh, the exact nature of the project, how long those warranties are for, typically three to five years. 
Um, so yeah, if something happens in year six, uh, that could be an issue. But I mean, you know, MDOT has a bunch of engineers. They claim they are constantly researching, um, you know, ways to to build roads that last long. I mean, Michigan, you know, in <laughs> Michigan is of course a difficult state for roads mm -hmm. because we have a pretty aggressive freeze thaw cycle uh, so you know the cement is uh, expanding and contracting more than it would in southern states for instance um, but you know i mean ohio uh, you know anecdotally the roads seem better when you cross that border and they have some they sure of the similar road road uh, you know temperature climate challenges so yeah. um yeah i mean it's it's been part of the discussion in the past um also you know uh, truck weights that's another topic that comes up over and over again we haven't seen the legislature actually follow through and change those limits but michigan does allow larger heavier longer trucks on the roads than some other states um you know mdot claims the way they regulate those in terms of spreading weight over multiple axles uh, reduces the impact. But, you know, a lot of lawmakers have, have at least floated the idea of uh, lowering or charging uh, heavier fees uh, to trucks that exceed certain weight limits. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, appreciate the call and the comments. Uh, Big Neo on Twitter says, want more dollars for roads? Eliminate the tax exemption for the wholesale purchase of fuel. All fuel sales need to be taxed. So that way corporations are kicking in for the cost of roads. The EV cards also need to have a better way to share the cost of roads. That comment uh, dovetails with uh, a caller who could not stay on the line uh, who asked about truck weights and the permissions for truck weights on the on the roads here in Michigan? We are more lax with those. Uh, again, these these structural issues about funding and cost, Jonathan. It seems several years ago we're kind of at the center of the discussion. I wonder how much they're driving what we're talking about now. Yeah, I mean. Um uh, you know, I will note, I've done some prior reporting on the governor saying that although she doesn't want to seek a, a gas tax increase again um, after her plan failed previously, mm -hmm. um, she does want to, you know, open up discussions, bigger discussions about what long-term road funding should look like. And I'll note Michigan is already kind of behind the ball, uh, you know, behind on that issue. Other states have experimented um, with new systems for, for instance, user-based mileage fees, where people are assessed a tax based on exactly how much they drive, not, you know, whether they have a fuel-efficient vehicle, whether they have a, you know, older car that doesn't get as much um, mileage or um, a truck uh, or, uh, you know, an electric vehicle. Um, so states like Oregon um, have experimented with that for almost a decade now um, and are still fine-tuning their projects. In Michigan, we recently had a feasibility study that was commissioned by the legislature to explore the idea of beginning to toll some Michigan roads. Um, and that would sort of work like a user-based mileage fee in that we're not talking toll booths set up on every highway. Um, we're talking cameras that would simply, uh, cameras or uh, transponders that would either read a device in your car or read your license plate and then assess a tax again based on how much you actually drive on those roadways. Um, 
that you know we haven't seen legislation introduced uh, at all to actually move towards that sort of a system. But lawmakers did hold a hearing, the Senate Transportation Committee, on that tolling road study. Uh, Governor Whitmer has said she's open to the idea. Um, you know, just because of the the increased, uh, you know, seemingly, you know, what is projected to be a very accelerated adoption of electric vehicles, um, we are going to have to reimagine things pretty significantly because the gas tax is no longer going to be able to yeah. fund road repairs in the way it does now. So those conversations are beginning to start, uh, but maybe should have a decade ago here in Michigan. I know uh, folks were bringing up that idea back when when Snyder was. Mm -hmm. um, uh, discussing road fixes too, but it never really got much traction. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's go to Jay in uh, Royal Oak. Jay, Jay in Royal Oak, uh, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me on. Yeah. Um, so my comment is, uh, I was a, I was a co-op at at um, MDOT when I was in college and became a consultant engineer. Now I work for a manufacturing company that. Um, you know, manufacturers a product that stabilizes soil and you put it underneath pavement. And anyway, the um, the point I wanted to make is, and it doesn't only apply to the products that I work with. It's any kind of newer technology with pavements, whether that's uh, um, kind of fibers in the asphalts or uh, different types of geogrids and synthetics that you place underneath the gravel in your roads mm -hmm. to make them last longer is those products are much easier to get adapted on private projects, but with public projects, it's very slow to change hmm. the technology that's used. The way that roads are constructed fundamentally are very, very similar to the way they were constructed 40, 50 years ago. Hmm. So just a... There's opportunities to increase the uh, technology that's used on roads. So. Yeah, yeah. Jay, really appreciate uh, the call and that and that info. I mean, uh, no question, we should be able to adapt and uh, take advantage of things uh, that make it easier to build and easier to maintain uh, these roads. Uh, Kyle, downriver, uh, go ahead. Hi. Um I, thanks for having me on. I'm a trustee here on Groziel Township, and yeah, roads is a real tough issue for all of us. Uh, Wayne County controls our roads here. Um, the hardest thing for me is we're not considering structural issues or structural things we can do, um, including possibly a congestion tax, a per mile tax, tolls on roads. Um, but, but more difficult, even at just a local level, like uh, roads are built without any sense of, of how long it takes to maintain them uh, long term. And uh, so, yeah, it's just, it's just really hard to, to find the funding mechanisms to make sure we're able to maintain our roads long term. Yeah. Yeah. OK, Kyle, appreciate the call uh, and the comments. Uh, Jonathan, I got about a minute left. Uh, what's next in this ever seeking quest for better roads here in Michigan? <laughs> Yep. Um, well, the governor, you know, her $3.5 billion bonding plan does have one uh, tranche, uh, they call it, you know, one more uh, bond mm -hmm. issuance to do. So there will be a little more 
uh, money of that 3.5 million coming for highways. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, you know, there's going to be, it looks like some one-time money in the budget again this year. We'll see how much that ends up being. Those conversations are happening right now. Um, but in the meantime, um, you know, <laughs> there need to be bigger conversations, obviously. And um, it's it remains to be seen yet what the appetite of this new legislature, the Democratic-led legislature now, uh, is going to be to tackle this. You know, it's a, it's a politically thorny issue because yeah. you're always going to end up talking about raising taxes on folks in some capacity. Yeah. Okay. Jonathan Osting, always great to have you here on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for joining today. Absolutely. Thank you. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue talking about politics and policy here in the state of Michigan. ML Elric uh, of the Detroit Free Press is going to join us to catch us up on the investigation into a scandal involving medical marijuana licensing here in Michigan that caught up former Michigan House Speaker Rick Johnson. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for joining. Locally in Michigan, we are witnessing a pretty big scandal unfold in Lansing, the state capitol. Last month, federal prosecutors announced that former Michigan Speaker of the House, Rick Johnson, pled guilty to federal corruption charges stemming from actions he took as chairman of the state's medical marijuana licensing board. Prosecutors charged him with accepting over $100,000 in cash benefits while serving as chair of the board. Johnson is one of four people who is entering a plea deal, with each member agreeing to assist prosecutors in their ongoing investigation into the scheme. Uh, I'm somebody who has watched and written about Michigan politics for a really long time. And I've got to say, this certainly ranks among the biggest scandals I've seen come out of the Capitol. But what should we be expecting from this ongoing investigation? Is it just the tip of the iceberg in a much bigger scandal? And what does it say about the process that led to medical marijuana licensing in our state? Remember, this was a scandal that unfolded as we were building an entire industry, deciding how we were going to regulate it. And there are lots of people operating in that industry now under terms that were negotiated while bribes were exchanging hands. That's where we want to continue the conversation here on Detroit Today. And we've got someone who has been watching it pretty closely to help us. ML Elric is a reporter for the Detroit Free Press. He's also the host of ML's Soul of Detroit podcast. He recently wrote a column in the Free Press titled, uh, My Message to Detroit's Mayor and Council, Don't Let the Watchdogs Leave City Hall. We talked to him about that last week, but he's here today to talk about this ongoing investigation in Lansing. Uh, Mike, welcome back to the program. Hey, it's great to be back, Stephen. And, and before we start, I, I think we, we both would extend our congratulations to Lindsey Green at the Detroit Free Press, Absolutely. our food and restaurant critic who was named a finalist in criticism for the Pulitzer Prize. So that's 
pretty good stuff here it's in Detroit. It's a big deal. It's such a big deal. And and uh, we had Lindsay on right when she started uh, being the restaurant critic for the Free Press, but we're going to have to catch up with her now and hear how she's wearing this new honor and how she feels about it. It's a, such a cool day in journalism when you oh, see yeah. those announcements come out and see your friends on the list. Yeah, she wrote a column about feeling anonymous, and I, I, I want her to go to all those restaurants and say, you know, how do you like me now? That's right. You know, you got That's that? Right. Am I really anonymous now? That's right. I'm glad somebody was paying attention. That's right. That's right. But I'm also glad the feds are paying attention because there have been concerns about medical marijuana licensing since it started, and and we now know from the prosecution and the plea deal struck by four prime movers in Lansing that from the minute this Mar- medical marijuana licensing board got going, there was cash changing hands illegally. A couple of lobbyists have admitted that they were paying the chairman of the board, Rick Johnson, cash almost from the jump. And now we have four people who have pleaded guilty and have agreed to cooperate with the feds. Interestingly, we know there's a fifth person involved in this conspiracy, Rick Johnson's wife, who was not charged. And part of the deal that Rick Johnson entered when he, when he pled guilty last month was that his wife would not be prosecuted. So that's, that's a fifth player, somebody who's getting a walk, um, you know, happy mother's day, Mrs. Johnson. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, and my column talks about the odds that there will be more charges because I think when you look at these cases, and Stephen, I know you're very familiar with uh, with the federal law enforcement. When you cooperate, and everybody pleads guilty, who are you cooperating against? Right. Because everybody's given themselves up. So you got to put another head on a pike outside the Capitol, because it's not just because you agreed to cooperate, but but you're highly incentivized because if you provide substantial cooperation. The feds have said, at least in Rick Johnson's case, that we will consider seeking an additional downward departure for you at sentencing, which quite simply means we will ask the judge to give you less time because you helped us more. That's right. And, and, and that and, means more bodies. And, and the question is always, who are they really trying to get, right? What's the top of uh, the prosecutor's pyramid, so to speak? Uh, and, and given that Rick Johnson was the chair of this board and was a former House Speaker, it's hard to imagine who's bigger in their eyes or who had a bigger role uh, than, than he might have in this. And, and again, it fits into the context of all this other scandal that uh, has been un- evolving under the Capitol Dome for, for some time. Oh, yeah. I, I called this the uh, the biggest non-Lee Chatfield scandal to hit Lansing <laughs> right. in 40 years. It's been a tough couple of years for former Republican speakers of the House yeah, right. in this Michigan. two of them, right? Um, going yeah. down. And, and now we hear that the most recent former speaker, um, Jason Wentworth, may have had uh, a hand in steering 20 to $25 million in state money towards a project in his district that involves some folks that... He's close with. So, I mean, clearly something is wrong in Lansing. And my hope, and it's something that I, I it's, a, it's a drum I plan to pound on until either the drum head, the drumstick or my arm breaks, <laughs> is that we have two opportunities right now to really get to the bottom of how things work in our capital. That's Dana Nessel and the investigation into Lee Chatfield. Mm-hmm. And that's now Mark Totten, the uh, U.S. Attorney for the Western District of Michigan. Lansing is in the Western District, so that's being run out of Grand Rapids and not out of Detroit. 
although the FBI covers the whole state, so there is some some crossover there. But they have a chance to find out what's really going on in Lansing by having a former Speaker of the House, a former lobbyist, somebody who knows everybody who can let his hair down and say this is what's going on. Here's because what's going on, right. Yeah, and these plea agreements basically say you have to tell us about any criminality you know. So this isn't just about the weed business. If you know that somebody spit on the sidewalk, in theory, you can give the spitter up and maybe get some consideration. This is an opportunity for law enforcement to really get to the bottom of our pay-to-play culture. And I just hope Dana Nessel and Mark Totten are tenacious and have what it takes to use this opportunity to bring a little sunlight to a system that's been working in darkness for far too long. Yeah. And, and the, the criminal opportunity here, of course, is, is that, but the policy opportunity here is the other thing. I mean, for years in this state, we have been talking about the need for actual ethics legislation that would govern the way people who are elected to serve the public deal with people who want to solicit them for for influence. Uh, and we just, ha- I mean, when you look at the rankings of states in terms of how they deal with ethics, when you think about the stories that we hear over and over here in, in Michigan, we are so far behind in terms of building that infrastructure, figuring out how to prevent people from indulging in this kind of thing in the first place so that we don't have to have the attorney general and other uh, prosecutors uh, jumping all over uh, illegal activity. It's outrageous that we don't have some basic things like financial disclosure forms, conflict of interest forms. You know, if, if you knew that Rick Johnson's wife was working for a guy who was trying to get a medical marijuana license and that was just disclosed, we could report on that. And then people could gather their own wits about them and say, well, this doesn't look right. Now, I, I, I have a feeling that this wouldn't have been reported because these guys, you know, were involved in a criminal scheme. But there's a lot of other things that go on that we don't know about. There's, there's lawmakers who are married to lobbyists. There are trips that are taken that don't have to be reported because they're given by people who aren't in a certain classification. It's just so easy for people to take care of our lawmakers. And, and I think one thing people don't understand about the lobbying rules is if you take somebody out to dinner and it's less than $75, you don't have to report it. You don't have to say. Now I tend to be kind of a cheaper type of guy at night at Culver's (laughs) and and you've got my uh, undivided attention, but for 75 bucks, that seems to me like a good steak some chocolate mousse, probably a <laughs> bottle of decent wine. Depends on where you're eating, right? Yeah, but I mean, you know, Lansing is not Paris, okay? Yeah, right. Lansing is not Vegas. <laughs> the best, you know, Capital Grill in Lansing, you can probably feed somebody pretty well for just under $75. And since these folks know how the system works, I bet you could get them the lawmaker special for $74.99. <laughs> I mean, right. this is... This is outrageous, and if people are not standing on their chairs right now screaming, uh, they're just not paying attention. Yeah, yeah. You know, it it reminds me of uh, early in my career, I worked in Lexington, Kentucky, uh, a state that has its own really robust history of uh, of corruption and, and criminality with elected officials. And they underwent, while I was there, this really, really sincere and deep 
self-examination about how things work. And I will always remember this phrase that they used about the legislation that they passed, not a single cup of coffee. That was the standard that they were trying to work with. You should not be able to buy uh, a legislator or another publicly elected official uh, with with so much as a single cup of coffee. Now, some people thought that was extreme and uh, thought that that was going to lead to too much monitoring and oversight. But that's a better space to be in, I feel like, than where we are, where you can buy all kinds of things for legislators and you can uh, peddle influence with them in ways that the public just doesn't even get to see. No, and and I, you know, I I, I think lobbyists get get tarred and and i think it's important to acknowledge that lobbyists have an important job and they tend to know more about what's going on in the capital than anybody else because it's their job to watch things and, and they're they, there forever yeah right? they bring they bring experts they bring knowledge lobbyists actually fulfill an important role in our society sometimes it's the role that maggots perform when there's an infection they eat the infection they help the body get healed but there are really good lobbyists who advocate for important things for children for education for health care but the problem is there are a lot of bad actors out there and our system has no backup so if you're a lawmaker and you get taken out to dinner you don't have to report that it's entirely on the lobbyist so the state has no way of saying well senator henderson you said that you had a ten dollar piece of pie with this lobbyist the lobbyist didn't report it to us we're relying on people who have no incentive to tell us who they are influencing and that's a real problem not a cup of coffee how about not a single puff you know i'd like to see that happen and the other thing that that really drives me crazy with this you know as reporters we pick up the tab when we go out to lunch with someone because we don't want anybody to think we've influenced that's us right sometimes sources say well i'm a public official i can't take a free meal so you split, split the check, the check. Whatever happened to a lawmaker making a decent salary saying, I can buy this sandwich. If the meeting with the lobbyist is so important and so useful, why don't you meet with them for free? Why don't you pack a lunch? Why don't you pay for your hamburger? I mean, you know, picking up a tab does not require a lot of strength. It does not require a lot of money. And if you don't want to find yourself in that predicament, Meet with them in your office during working hours. That's right, right. And I think people don't see the connection between these kind of small favors that people do for public officials and the kind of thing that Rick Johnson has now uh, admitted that he did, which is you know a hundred thousand dollars or more of accepted money uh, to, to to tilt things in favor of of uh, you know a special interest it's it's all on the same spectrum if you deal with it at the small end you will prevent some of it at least at the at the bigger end well I, I do think that when you get used to taking things for free there's a continuum and after a while the things you take for free just get bigger yeah and right. maybe the lines start to blur but but you raised the point a minute ago that I, I think is fascinating it's one of the things I don't know the answer to but I'm hoping to find out is Rick Johnson is a big fish He's a former Speaker of the House. He was the head of a state agency. When he pleads guilty and cooperates on the first day, mm -hmm. uh, at least as far as we know in the public realm of this investigation, who's he going to offer up? He was pushed by a Senate majority leader. He was appointed by a governor. Are they in trouble? Are the feds going after them? It, it's hard to wrap yeah. your head around that, but but you don't get the first 
the, the big fish in the first swing. You, no. you work your way up. That's right. And That's right. if so it's, it's not a big name, bigger than him. Yeah, yeah, or it's a lot of people. Or right? just a lot of yeah. people. That's right. It's going to be right. the weight of the person he cooperates against or the combined weight of a bunch of people who go down. Business people, other lobbyists, other lawmakers, other members of the board. We don't know, but the expectation is, and I've talked to former prosecutors and defense attorneys, when you have a deal like this and when you say the things that the U.S. attorney said, there will be more heads to roll. Yeah, yeah. Uh, before I let you go, I want to quickly have you catch us up on your effort to get uh, journalists back literally into a space in Detroit City Hall. Where are you with that? So we have been circulating a letter, and I appreciate your support and agreeing to sign on to it, mm-hmm. calling for the mayor, the city council, and the building authority which runs City Hall to create a workspace for journalists on the 11th floor where the mayor works, the 13th floor where city council works. We have almost two dozen signatories on that now. News directors from Detroit's TV stations, radio stations, newspapers, and other news organizations as well that are active. We're gonna, I'm going to take that on Friday to the building authority meeting. I've asked to be put on the agenda. The best they've given me is an opportunity to speak during the public comment session. But I will be taking that to them and showing them that the media, which is very competitive in this town, is working together on one issue, and that is to restore a workspace so the fourth estate can get out of the basement and get to where the action is. So it's an ongoing crusade. If you're listening and you want to call the mayor's office or the city council to say, hey, let these folks back where they can do their best work, we'd really appreciate it because Pulitzer Prize don't get one in the basement. (laughs) They get one. That's around right. the corner from the mayor, Absolutely. down the hall from the city council. Mike Alrick, always great to have you here on Detroit Today. Thanks for stopping by. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for keeping people informed. Absolutely. All right. Uh, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue talking about policy here in the state of Michigan. We're going to talk about the push to eliminate loopholes that allow child marriage here in Michigan with the political reporter Rachel Louise Just. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET provides trusted news, inclusive conversations, and cultural experiences that empower the community. 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and thanks for joining. Since Michigan Democrats took control in Lansing, they have passed several of their legislative priorities, including protecting access to abortion and procuring stronger LGBTQ rights. For its part, the Michigan Senate has also passed bills seeking to repeal Michigan's right-to-work law and strengthen gun safety in the state. But while the Michigan Senate has passed these bills, others like a bill that would make 18 the minimum age for marriage in the state That's in something of a stall. Last week, a group of women gathered in Lansing seeking to change this. Members of the nonprofit Unchained at Last appeared at the steps of the state capitol protesting the current laws covering child marriage in Michigan. That's because while the marriage age is 18, they argue that legal loopholes allow children as as young as 15 or even younger to be married. To help us understand more, including what happened at the protest, 
why this group feels change is needed to Michigan's current laws, and why the legislation has stalled. We're joined by Rachel Louise Just. She is a statewide political reporter for Channel 3 WWMT-TV in Kalamazoo. She was on hand to witness the protest. Uh, Rachel, welcome back to Detroit Today. Good to be back, Stephen. So let's talk, talk about. about. So let's talk about this protest in Lansing last week. Uh, what specifically uh, do we need changed, according to this group? Yeah, so this group is is trying to essentially abolish child marriage. Right now, we do have no minimum age in our state due to legal loopholes that essentially allow anyone uh, as young as an infant potentially to be getting married. Um, you know, that could be through uh, parents' approval or through a judge, but. Right now, they're trying to set in place very simple policy priority, which is 18, no exceptions. So no exceptions for if there's a pregnancy, no exceptions for if there's a religious reason or if uh, there's parental support. That's essentially their platform right now. And they've been trying to get that through for, I I believe, at least four sessions now. Yeah. So I want to talk just a bit about what kind of problem this represents in the state. What did you hear from the folks who were protesting uh, in, in the way of stories about people who are under 18 who wind up being married in the state? Yeah, I mean, these are really, really heavy stories. Um, many of the women that were there are survivors of child abuse um, and child marriage. Um, normally, those two are synonymous in these cases. And they were able to talk about their stories, surviving those things. In those cases, we also had people who... There was a mother who was married as a child, and then her daughter got married as a child, and then that cycle continued. So um, this is just a serious issue in some of these communities where this is pretty much the norm. And having some of those families talk about what they've experienced and what they've seen their children experience as a result of them not being able to break free from that cycle. Like I said, it's very heavy, um, and these things are lifelong. I mean, Mm -hmm. one of the women I was speaking to was, was talking with me about while she was married, I believe she was six, 15 or 16 when she got married to uh, her older husband. He was also like a father figure to her. And she was talking about how it was so damaging to be having sex every night with someone who's a father figure, but is also your husband. So the psychological damage that's happening to predominantly young girls here is vast. Yeah, yeah. So who is arguing against this reform and what are some of the things they say about why they don't think it should pass? The voices that are against this are much quieter than the voices that are for abolishing it. Just because it's one of those things I think you're going to be hard pressed to find someone who's out on the street, you know, shouting Mm -hmm. these women down. But there are people who, especially the no exceptions section of this is where they're going to have an issue with it because there's, you know, there's many reasons why people get married young. Uh, 95% of the time, it's it's young girls and adult getting, men getting married, according to Unchained at Last, which is a group trying to end this. But there are cases where it's, you know, maybe someone gets pregnant underage. It's two underage kids, teens, that are wanting to get married and support each other because they have a kid on the way. So there's situations like that. We also see religious groups that are advocating for this ability to still get married young. So there are people that are against abolishing it, but they're, like I said, their voices are not quite as loud here. Yeah, And so this has been stalled for quite some time in Lansing. Talk about why and I guess what the opportunity seems to be now to actually get something done. 
Yeah, it's as far as I can tell, it's been introduced every single session since 2018. It's not necessarily that it's been brought up and it's been taken through the whole process and people have been fighting it through. It, it's been one of those bills that's kind of introduced and maybe gets a little bit of fanfare when it's introduced and then we don't hear about it again. Mm. And the reason for that, according to many of the women who have been advocating for it, is, is they've been told by lawmakers that it's simply not an urgent issue. You know, when you, when we're looking at many of the issues that are facing our state, it's easy to push things forward, you know, making sure we have our roads taken care of, things like that. But what these women were saying to lawmakers is that for the girls who are stuck in these situations, it is an emergency. It is very urgent. So that's why we may begin to see some progress on this now. I believe the last majority just simply, it was Republican for a couple of years. And through those, there, there wasn't, it seems, the motivation to get this done but there was bipartisan support to get it done and there were groups uh, uh, republicans and democrats who were very motivated to get this done in previous sessions so maybe they'll get the chance to do so now yeah yeah uh we talked a little about the up front about the 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 pace at which democrats have been able to get some of their priorities uh, passed early in this new session, in the first session in almost 40 years where they have complete control of the legislature. Where do you feel like this issue ranks among those priorities? Is this something that we could see get done very quickly, or is it still something that that will take a bit of time? That's a difficult question to answer, only because we are in a, a middle of the budget period right now. So mm-hmm. I think the priorities that we would normally maybe be seeing pushed through are a little bit being put on the side burner as we are dealing with budget issues, it's just where the focus is right now. I do think it is a priority in that it's being addressed already. It, it's already been introduced into a two-year session. We're only a couple of months in and it's been introduced. I think that that shows that it is a priority, at least on some level. And I know for those lawmakers who are advocating for it, it's very much a priority. Some of them do have very strong standing in the legislature. So I think in that way, it, it'll have more momentum this time around. But again, it's kind of hard to know exactly how things are going to be moving when we are in this budget process where that's kind of taking precedence. Yeah. Uh, quickly, before we have to end the show, you mentioned budget. It is budget season in Lansing. Uh, what are the prospects for that going well and being done perhaps by early June and not bleeding over into the fall as we have uh, in previous years? The governor does have uh, both houses of the legislature uh, in her same part, under the control of the same party. Uh, is that going to go better this year than it has in the last few? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, you know as well as I do, Stephen, these things are very behind closed doors. People are mum on them uh, for a long time, really until the final thing is signed. But I do think so far it's been going better more smoothly than in other years, simply because, like you said, she has a friendly legislature this time. She's working with people who have a lot of the same goals, Maybe those details are not the same, but she is working with people who have same policy priorities as she does. I think where the issue, the thorny thing that we're going to see coming out here is because Republicans have such a large um, minority. There is a one-person minority in both chambers. If Republicans oppose aspects of this, which I imagine that they will, we may not see immediate effect. And that's essentially meaning that we won't see this budget go into effect for a long time after they end session. So that could be a really big issue they're going to face. That's where I think we might see some of the issues come up. 
Okay, Rachel Louise, just always great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for joining on this really important issue today. Thank you for having me back. That is going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when we take a look at some of the efforts some state and local governments and communities are making to hold social media companies more accountable. Also, if you like the show and enjoy listening, share it. Share it with your friends and your neighbors and your relatives. This community is better when we have more of us as an active part of the discussion. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.